Hi, welcome to another episode of Part of the Valkyries with Amy Therese, Peachy Keenan, and Inez Stepman. So, Peachy, what are we going to talk about today? Well, I think we're going to have to talk a little bit about rough sex, right, Inez? <laughs> you had quite a tweet there. <laughs> I honestly didn't think that tweet was controversial, but then I've just, I've spent the entire day getting notifications on my Twitter about various sex acts and it's, it's, it's been a day. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> nice job. So why don't you tell everyone about what your tweet was about? I, I thought this was so obvious, honestly. I, I didn't, I, I know this sounds uh, like not true, but I, I honestly didn't realize that it would blow up or get controversial um, or at least not, not to the degree that it, that it did, but I don't know if, if, um, you guys saw, but several months ago, starting several months ago, um, I've just seen a lot of commentary in the sex wars, which we we've discussed have gotten a little, uh, a little touchier as of the last several months. Um, when people essentially, I mean, saying that men were violent uh in their hookups or whatever uh and that a lot of women are just randomly being choked out by violent men and i saw people on the left and the right saying this um a lot of turfs going with it um i even saw some people suggest that this is why young girls transition because they see this kind of violence and pornography and they hear that men want it and then they transition <laughs> which never really rang true to me um, but, but yeah, so I thought what I was, I tweeted was fairly obvious, but, um, that, that it's, it, it's women driving this that in fact, and I, I know Amy, we were talking about this, um, over the chat, but I had the same experience you did with male friends that, that, you know, have talked to me about this stuff. It's always been, well, I, I don't really feel comfortable doing it, but women want me to do it. So I do, you know, um, and I thought it was actually to the extent that this is an important discussion, because I don't think the particularities of it are very important, but it is kind of a microcosm of the sexual revolution, right? Where like <laughs> women, women want something, um, but they want plausible deniability for wanting it. And so the left comes in and says, well, women want this because men are evil uh, and the patriarchy is bad. And then the right comes in and says, well, no women actually want this. Right. Um, yeah, that desire and, doesn't exist. So it seemed like a good little uh, encapsulation of, of why our sex wars discourse, I think, is so stuck. Yeah. And I think actually women who are inclined to lean into a lot of like the gender neutrality garbage going to be sort of that they that there are actually gendered particularities to sex as well to be like the stronger more dominant person in that context it's like they can't admit it anywhere else but like that's the one arena in which it sort of emerges it's sort of I mean, the most to, obvious arena in some way it's yeah sort exactly. of tied to the, the it's the same vibe as like the women who let's say are the breadwinners and like they have a husband but he doesn't earn as much or he's a stay-at-home husband and they Earn all the money, which is apparently, you know, what they say they want, want to be able to make the living. And it's fine if the woman is a breadwinner, but those couples like have a lot less sex 
because she's a lot less attracted to a man who, yeah. who just yeah. economically can't take care of her. And yeah. she's, so she's not attracted to him because he's sort of become feminized by her. Well, yeah. I mean, it would be hard to be attracted to a guy who's playing the female role, essentially, in the relationship, I think, anyway. <laughs> I got in a lot of trouble a few years ago, actually, um, on the left, with what, another one of these silly things where um, somebody, have you ever like, have you ever dated a guy who earns less than you? That was, like, the question of the day. And I just said no to emasculating. And it blew up, and everyone got very angry at me. Like, as though I said something wrong. And I was just like, I didn't realize that this was controversial. Like, no, I would not date a guy who earns less than me. Sorry. Like, it's not even a gold digger thing. I'm not saying he has to be wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, but I just, it's too much of an inversion of like, <laughs> it just wouldn't work. I think we've just solved the question of why Taylor Swift is still single. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder if that applies if because um, I feel like the money is in some sense a proxy for something else. So I bet there are men who are have very high status jobs that don't pay them any money. And I bet they do not have as much of a problem. But I don't know. Yeah, no, that could be you know true saying? as well. Like you could compensate like it, that it could easily be compensated for in other ways that wouldn't matter. Yeah. Uh, SNL did that sketch. Um a couple of years ago, and I think it had to be like removed off the the show recording because it was so controversial. But it was basically about this: how women, empowered feminist women, really just want to be like thrown around by a big man and like made to feel like a little delicate flower. And so, like the guys would come into the room with like the SNL actresses playing like the wives or something. Like I think it was like the guest star was like some giant football guy, and he would like pick her up, and she was like, and the husband would be right there, like kind of like you know pajama boy obama boating husband and she'd be like you know honey you can't why can't you do this and like the big football players like picking her up and like putting her over his shoulder and they were getting all like excited and turned on and it was like hilarious and true <laughs> but they had to take it off they had to like delete the sketch because it was like expose the lie you know do you think well, part of this is also that like you know how pre-sexual revolution, the context in which any, like any or most or much of this would happen is like in a committed, like lockdown private relationship, like in the private sphere. Whereas once you have like hookup culture, you have like the same desires in terms of what people want in the bedroom, but it's no longer in like a long-term committed private relationship. It's in all these fleeting encounters with people. So, like, they're asking for the same stuff that previously, like, would have been constrained within just two people over, like, the long term, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly responsible for a lot of the, to the extent that there are miscommunications. Um, mm. My bet is that it's not, and I, I have all, you know, I have an argument, I'm conservative, I think that porn is bad in many ways, but... Um, I doubt this is actually being driven by men and porn consumption. I think it's probably previous partners that, like, if a guy is out of the blue doing something like that to, like, let's say a hookup, a woman he's hooking up with, like, I tend to think probably it's a learned behavior from the other women he's hooked up with wanting it. Um, I yeah, think that's probably think more so. likely than the porn explanation on that front, but 
I also it, find the idea that porn drives something as um, as fundamentally human as like sexual desire, like the idea that it's uh, um, driving it as opposed to reflecting it is uh, suspicious to me. Like a lot of these turfs and feminists and that sort of thing, they have all these ideas that like if you watch porn, it like generates all these depraved desires in you and that it goes on this like you know exaggerated you know steep upwards curve in terms of what you then become inclined to need in order to get off and all this stuff and I just I don't find that all that plausible um I I find it perhaps plausible because and but I don't think this is particularly unique to pornography I mean this is uh there's a deeper conversation about morality and art um, right. That right? if like, I, I do believe that if you, if you focus or wallow on in particular, um, instincts, in other words, I'm, you know, to somewhat of a fan of repression of all kinds of forget about even the sexual context, just like, you know, I, I think there is always a war with, with nature to some extent. Um, right. and, and that, you know, not all human impulses or, or desires are good. Um, and, and that we ought to oh, war with a certain, yeah. and, and I think like there's a, a wallowing effect, you know, like I could totally see, you know, I could see, I guess, the, I don't know if you become more depraved so much as just you become, I could see like someone who consumed an enormous amount of porn, especially like wide variety of it, um, you know, wallowing more in instincts that had he suppressed them. Um, that then become stronger and much more a part of your mental landscape in a way that gotcha. if, if it was just a passing sort of uh, impulse that you would have be able to control it more, you know, I don't know. Right. I, that's a, I, I, part of what I, I find so sort of remarkable about this is, is that I can completely see this being dialed up to a sort of absurd degree um, and, and get to a point where it's, it's, freaky <laughs> um i don't know what's going on in one of the dogs is there is that a dog what is that <laughs> do you hear my dog yeah yeah i, I think, think so, so. sorry it's a very large dog he's so yeah, far it away good. it sounds like the that. dog equivalent of the uh the guys in the snl sketch pg um <laughs> he dog. is he's a complete beefcake um no but i I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, sort of the, these instincts on the part of women, I think are quite natural, but have been pushed maybe to an extreme by, and I don't know what that is. And maybe, um, maybe one of you guys has an idea, uh, but, but like the submissive instinct I think is natural, but the, like, I want to be beaten within an inch of my life. That's obviously that's extreme. (laughs) And if that's more common, I wonder why I don't know if it is or not, but, but, if that's more common, I wonder why. Is it girls just trying to be like edgy, like the way that in my generation it'd be like, oh yeah, I love watching football, which is like bullshit. Like you don't know you don't love watching football. And now it's, oh yeah, I love doing, you know, getting a black guy or whatever it is. Or is it just that women are watching just as much porn as men? And um they just get you get habituated, you know, like any other drug. And you just do need, just like men, a little more, you know, freaky stimulation to get the same high. Yeah. 
this whole thing reminds me of a BAP tweet from a few years ago. Yeah, trampled by, trampled by, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. By 2025, like the average woman yeah. is going to want to be trampled by horses. <laughs> I mean, that's, that right. was, that's yeah. it. And I think that there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, the one I thing can't... I do think, one thing I do think is that, like, for all that, like, I think a lot of women are idiots in terms of like what they want or even like expressing themselves necessarily. Like, they often say things that are the exact opposite of what they want. Arena in which most women sort of will be able to express themselves to at least some extent is in the bedroom. Like, I don't think that they're just saying choke out because they don't want that, if that makes sense. Like, I, I, I think we I think underestimate the extent to which. Yeah, yeah it's, I, I think it's female-driven. Male-driven. I don't think there's yeah. a lot of guys who, like, independently. I'm not saying there are none, but, like, I, I don't think most guys are... I think uncomfortable with the idea of mixing violence and sex. No, this is what Louise Perry's book is a lot about. I mean, I'm, I know you just talked to her, and um, I, I don't know if you've read the book, but there's she talks a lot about this. Her book against the sex revolution about why women want that and like how the choking trend is huge among younger women. Like it's well, like that, a thing that was they the one do. part of her book that I was a little skeptical of. I think I because I, I, I love UK, book. yeah. Maybe it's a British thing. Like, I don't know if that's happening here. I really don't. I can't, you know, I'm not hanging around with like young women who are getting choked out. Um, sounds extremely unpleasant. Like, I don't understand that at all. You know, I mean, I can understand wanting to be like wanting to feel delicate and like, you know, feminine, you know, in the throes of passion. But like actual, actual pain and like suffocation, I I, I will never understand that. I I, I guess I'm a boomer. I knew. It, it's it's not i'm not talking about the specifics i'm not talking about the specifics but the, the impulse on a part of women i mean uh, one of the funniest things i've ever read in a, a sort of academic context uh was the initial popularity of the fountainhead by ayn rand i don't know if either one of you has read that book but yeah um so the initial popularity of that book had absolutely nothing to do with the philosophy involved in it but uh it's a rather famous sex scene that is right. pretty rapey um okay. and this became this became apparently a like cult favorite among 1950s uh. housewives um or <laughs> for that book for that scene um uh. well that's the thing there's always been sort of an emergence of this sort of stuff around like within that demographic and sure like they were housewives back then and now like far more of those of that specific demographic are like single young women but it's sort of the same impulse in the same demographic i think you're right amy that this is um maybe going to an extreme exactly because of the context right like mm. um if it was 50s housewives who had this you know uh, impulse it was not going very far beyond uh, the the sort of long-term and intimate relationship whereas yeah it is something that requires a lot of like <laughs> i imagine actually I, I know that the impulse um whenever a woman says anything about sex is to imagine that it's your own and I'm not, I'm not in this direction. So I can't draw my own experiences, but uh, <laughs> I, I would imagine uh, that, that it, it does have like 
there's a, a lot of potential for miscommunication is what I would say um, in this kind of, of activity versus maybe something that's a little more vanilla and straightforward. Um, and so if you're hooking up with a bunch of different people, it's probably difficult to gauge exactly where the line is. And I could see right. it a lot of miscommunication in one-offs. Yeah. And I also, I just sort of want to reject this idea that all men are like implicitly rapey or whatever. I tend to Right. I've always found, especially like um, millennial guys who are like all the guys I've mostly dated and whatever, like, I don't know, there was one time with my ex where I had to be like, can you just stop being so consenty? Because he was just being like, so like, I don't know, like, I tend to find it's like the other way around. Like, I think a lot of turfs like to underestimate or even like reject the notion of female desire and like women actually wanting sex or liking sex at all they sort of like reject the premise and so like anything that's got to be implied to be um the man's desire or the male gaze or whatever and they just sort of don't want to acknowledge that women have these desires as well yeah i think that's why i I mean, I thought it was just a throwaway tweet and I didn't realize I'd be talking about it all day. But um, I think that's what bothered me about the frame is once again, it's about releasing women or allowing women this plausible deniability um, for actually being agents in their own decision making. Right. Yes. And it, it it's the same thing with the Me Too thing and everything else. Yeah. It's, it's a, yeah. a denial of female agency. Big time. Um, and that does... I can understand why that is so. In other words, I understand why women want that plausible deniability. They want that so much also is a part of femininity and female sexuality to, um, you know, to essentially be the pursued, to never... Um, lay out in advance uh, sort of where the boundaries are, but but rely on men to find those for you, to, the, the right to know, not not know what you want at all, right? Um, it is is so feminine. So it's not that I think it's necessarily a bad thing that women want that, that space um, or that plausible deniability. I think that's very natural. But what it doesn't mesh well with is a culture that demands that or, or um, sort of pushes it back on men and says that, oh, like, you know, any kind of, of um, aggressiveness or, or um, assertive decision-making in the sexual realm on the part of men is inherently either, like, rapey or bad or toxic um, or just fraught in the sense that, uh, you know, if a man makes a mistake in engaging or reading a woman's mind, like, that's essentially what we've done now, is make, it, is make miscommunication or a mistake in reading women, which is a difficult thing to do, especially since women often don't know their own minds. So it's not even a matter of reading, it's guessing. To to make that, um, like, essentially half criminalize it, right? Guessing well, that's wrong the thing. is, I is think so part of this, wrong. Yeah. yeah, I think part of this is the whole consent culture bullshit where they say everything has to be uh, affirmative and enthusiastic consent and all this crap, which I just find repulsive. Like one thing that I think is really like fun and nice and an essential element of like 
sex is that ultimately like you're communicating with somebody else in a manner other than words like it's not like like I don't think consent is real I think it's make-believe I think that like actually this stuff is all totally liminal and implicit rather than explicit and so you are sort of left with two options which is to keep it liminal which then especially if you're a man puts you at some kind of like if you don't trust the girl it puts you at some kind of risk because if you do misread it then you know potentially you're going to be in a lot of trouble or whatever or it forces you to do this like incredibly sterile ridiculous thing of like saying everything out loud which is so like unsexy it's like makes it not hard you know what I mean like to like explicitly talk about all this stuff you know what I mean like you should be talking like like it's it it's a different form of communication I don't want to have to like say everything out loud in words yeah no it's it's ridiculous and it's not enough um like consent is also not enough like you can't you, even if you you got a signed sealed you know notary uh for everything which as you say is completely unsexy um, now th- th- there's the, the, well, you can withdraw it at any time. That's what they say anyway. So it's meaningless. Right. You can withdraw it at any time, but even, even that, right. Like now you're talking about undue pressure, right? What was the last, yeah. of the, the thing that kind of exploded the me too trajectory before this most recent Russell brand thing, um, I was, know, I always was the case of Aziz Ansari. Um, oh yeah. He and, did nothing and wrong. It, yeah. And, and it was a <laughs> case of essentially miscommunication, but, but, Essentially, the, the the theory was well, he applied undue pressure. No, he right? didn't. And no, he didn't. no I, I I agree with you, and I wrote about yeah. it at the time. But that that's then then even the consent app is not going to solve that, right? Like if if your problem is that uh, essentially that women need to make up their minds very clearly and firmly in advance, well, no wonder I guess no wonder the girls want to get choked out then because that's like incredibly unsexy and you probably have to bring you have to figure out some new way to bring any kind of need to be trampled by polarity back (laughs) yeah (laughs) flamethrowers sores (laughs) where does it end I guess I think also what people part of the thing they underestimate with I think a lot of the Aziz Ansari and some of the others is that like actually what happened is she got the ick and she didn't realize and that's and like I think that when you like there can be situations where like you can be interested in someone and then just suddenly it changes for no apparent reason and you don't know how to vocalize why and then that's the point at which it no longer becomes consensual because you're no longer attracted to them or you no longer want to do it but you don't why and you haven't been able to vocalize it and I think that's what happened with her she just got turned off and she didn't realize why and she couldn't say I no longer want to do this and so to express what she actually wanted she was expecting him to somehow magically read her mind which is like guys can't read minds like you need to use your words or communicate in some other way love like you need to figure that out use your words honey yeah they're all about the words until it's just about <laughs> until well, suddenly the guy has to read your mind yeah. and communicating yeah. clearly. Then exactly. it's not about the words. Then yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's all about. I mean, I've all I've been trying to contemplate, like, figure out, like, well, why did Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, 
what was that, 10 years ago now or something, become mm-hmm. like outsell Harry Potter. Remember? Do you remember what mm-hmm. happened? And mm-hmm. like, what was that? Like, you know, women. You know, just- also it was fan fiction from va- the vamp the vampire books. Yeah, exactly. The- yeah. Yeah, so it's sort of telling that it goes from like the Twilight was like for the teenage girls who want to be like making out with a vampire or whatever, and then like for their moms, suddenly there's the same. Like, you're this delicate, yeah. innocent, naive, virginal, powerless creature, and this kind of like all powerful, hyper masculine, you know, vampires like superpowers and or like the super rich billionaire who was like fetish for S&M or whatever. Mm. And like that just like, it literally just like took over women's brains for like a few years. They could not, not read it. And and I just thought it was funny because, um, you know, those are not exactly the messages that we are taught that are, you know, that's not how you're supposed to think as a woman. (laughs) Where's the equality (laughs) in those relationships? It's funny. Um, and I, and, but there's no self-awareness. Like no one reading those books were thinking to themselves, well, what does that, what does this say about feminism? What does it say about like women's equality and like, you know, how we need to share in the housework and like, we both need to do the dishes together. Like, is that what you want? A man who's going to do the dishes? Like, no, no, <laughs> that's no. not what you want. <laughs> you want a man to yeah, do think- other things. I think they underestimate also like, and I've sort of noticed this online. Actually, the more you nag men, the less you're going to like them. Like, I think they really underestimate the extent to which, like, like they're doing this thing, the constant nagging and scolding and trying to fit men into this tiny little box. And it's like, honey, if you get that, like, if you get what you no want. Yeah, like if you get what you want, it's not going to be what you want. Like a bunch of emasculated men who, as you said, do the dishes and sort of fit into this box that's totally like politically correct and, you know, blah, 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 does all the housework. Like that, you're not going to be attracted to those men. Right. Like, and it's, yeah, you need to like figure out what you could like I I don't know I just I like men as they are I don't want to nag them because once you start nagging people and trying to make them into something else you're never going to be able to appreciate them for what they actually are I think I don't know just getting a bit allergic to all the nagging just please leave them alone I don't want right. them anymore so if no, I already are Amy, Amy, <laughs> like that, like that viral video about Britney Spears with the the girl who's like leave Britney leave alone Brit- yeah like, yeah leave yeah. the boys alone yeah leave the boys alone stop emasculating them I can't bear it anymore please just just back off let them be like that's the thing like I think also like as women we've you know we're whining now about transgender males in our spaces but like if you look at the last 50 to 100 years like women have invaded almost every space and done this whole we want equality we want to invade your spaces we want to be here on our terms too blah blah blah. it's like how many spaces are there left for male bonding and and maybe two it's the gym that's it and now the women have taken over the nfl all, yeah. the, all the Swift Swifties are now claiming the NFL. There's really nowhere for men to go. Well, there's no way. Like, can we just leave, leave them for a bit? Like, 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, not not coincidentally, the decline of male friendship probably has some roots in that. Um, it so yeah, I, I and totally then that agree degrees their testosterone as well when they don't hang out with other men. Like if they're always just hanging and doing like womeny shit, it drops their tea, and that's bad. <laughs> Mm. Um, so I should not. I, I agree with you. Spend time with my husband. <laughs> yeah, less time. Fellas, right, less fellas time with is, my husband. Is spending time with your wife gay? <laughs> yes. Did Absolutely. did spending time with my wife make me trans? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. No, I'm I'm all in favor of like all male spaces and stuff. But but I I will I will point out I was thinking about like um. But since what we're now talking about is is sort of attendant or adjacent to the longhouse idea, I actually yeah. think when when the the longhousing got really really bad is actually not with the women who force their way into the male spaces because those women are usually super masculine, right? Yeah, or they really enjoy the company of men being men, right? Yeah. So like I'm thinking about women who go to the firehouse and become you know firefighters, right? Uh, oh right, that type, type yeah. Maggie yeah. Thatcher, right? And, and yeah, that's sort uh, of limited by the number of women who are capable of actually doing that. Yeah, right. I think I think the tipping point actually doesn't come, even though I am not by any means. I do think that men should have spaces where there are only men. Um, but I think the tipping point of of when the culture becomes feminized is actually when it becomes a universal. So, like for example, the workplace, a lot of these male dominated. Yeah you know, workplaces, it was fine to have a handful of women there because those were the women who were either masculine themselves or completely high on the testosterone of the men around them and just really having yeah. a great time. Right. Um, and there might be other problems with that, like fraternization or whatever, but, but not, um, it's not the longhouse problem for the most, most part. It's, it's when it became universal, like when all the women went to work, then it was even the really feminine women, were in the workplace and they did not like the male atmosphere. It felt mean and, and, um, you know, overly aggressive to them. And then that's, I think that's the tipping point of, of when the atmosphere changes and becomes dominated, not just by women, but by feminine sort of, uh, ways of doing and, things and ways yeah. of doing. Things. Yeah. 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 Like when, and I think like, the like bureaucratic and sort of passive aggressive ways of resolving problems is a huge part of it too. Like men in offices and that sort of thing, like they've just become increasingly like ridiculous feminized spaces. I don't know. The first time I worked in an office when I was like 18 or 19, the women were so hardcore and so bitchy. And I just like the moment, I don't know. I've always been allergic to feminism. Like, even when I thought I was a leftist, I always just despised feminism, didn't understand how anyone my age could in any way relate to it. Um, maybe because I went to an all girls school. And so my entire life, I've been like, you know, encouraged to just be strong and smart and like not in any way felt subjugated to anything so it just seemed like silly but yeah the first time I went to god any problems women have are entirely of their own creation like these women are ridiculous it's just yeah did you guys see that um those tweets this is sort of related to the problems um I think one of them is that women are just there's too many women in the workplace more women than men um yeah 
and they can't meet spouses who are successful in making money. I mean, that's just proven over and over again. But this Bloomberg report that came out that said since 2020, of all the people who have been hired for jobs, only 6% were white men. Yeah, Every single person who has been hired for a job since 2020, 6% were white men. I, this I, I, on the face of that statistic, I, I, I don't know. I doubt a little bit that it just seems so extreme, and so it's not that I, I dispute that. I absolutely believe that white men, white straight men, are being discriminated against in the Fortune 500 um, and passed over for promotion and so on. But that seemed like such a lopsided statistic that. Like if it well, had said sixty percent, I would have believed it. But ninety four percent. Well, listen, it said right. So blue. It's a Bloomberg report. They analyzed hiring data from twenty 2020 twenty through twenty twenty one for eighty eight of the S and P one hundred companies. Yeah, I'd believe and it. Those 20 companies twenty twenty was the BLM shit. So yeah, they would so have they been hired, hyper. They hired yeah. three hundred and twenty three thousand um, ninety four people. Six percent were white. Not just white men. Sorry. 6% were white. So fewer, so white men were probably two to 3%, which I thought, yeah. So, and yeah, the total, actually, that I, I also like have huge problems with this because it's also just a massive rejection and meritocracy. So the standards in the nature, once you have like, you know, people who are less qualified, then you're going to have people who are less Conflict, conflict resolution or the ways of doing things within that space are going to get dumber. Yeah, no, there's there's obviously a problem with the, the like, <laughs> mass, and that's what it is, is discrimination against white men. Um, I do, I, I still, something is not adding up to me about this, the numbers here. I, just looking around at some of these companies, I, I, um, I wonder if this is either a selection of the jobs or this or or if everyone is now identifying on the on the bubble test right. um, as somebody because like that. looking around Fortune 500 companies like I would believe it if it were if it were actually um like board seats like new board seats for example right. I guarantee like nobody wants to add another quote white man, man to their board in that visible position but this just, this just there's something about the numbers I, I don't know i have to look into this but i i sort of doubt it on the face uh that there's there's got to be some explanation for why it's so lopsided but i would believe that it's 60 percent, right which is what w- would already be a massive discrimination um i'm gonna go into recruitment and to reverse racism to make up for it <laughs> <laughs> only the best, only the best white man. That's what right. I promise. Yeah, I mean, you know that joke about uh, the right always like uh, made the joke that if if the uh, seventy seven cents on the dollar statistic was actually true, um, the one that Obama repeated and everyone else repeats constantly, the seventy seven seventy eight cents on the dollar, like women make seventy eight cents for every dollar that men make. Um, the, the the response was always, well, uh, why doesn't someone just start a company for all the the women and pay them 82 cents and and like make a killing because they're doing the same work and of course the answer there is they're not doing the same work um yeah but but uh somebody should start a company for all the straight white men there's so much there's so much competency just floating around our system right now with no outlet can you even Uh, imagine 
Yeah. You could you could make a killing. Just hire I think. all the just hire all the frogs. <laughs> no, I I I think that, recruit from men on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I I think it would be a massively um, important enterprise to uh, just start to collect the stories of men who have been yes. passed over or not been promoted. Um, yeah, because the other thing race. is that yeah. like. Yeah, like all of these sort of like race and gender um, uh, methods of uh, taking issue with the company for passing you over, that too is actually a relatively like feminine response to so-called adversity. Like most guys are not going to, if they get passed over, like dig into all of the exact reasons why and then go take a complaint to a lawyer somewhere and sue a company. And so, like, I think to let, like, most guys, especially if they have a family, are just going to figure out a way to get a job and they're going to keep doing it until they get one. They're not going to go and have this, like, big whiny complaint and, like, take issue through the adversarial legal system and, like, whine and whine and, you know, get compensated for being passed over or whatever. Like, most guys are just going to figure it out. So I imagine that, like, you know, the sort of methods by which other demographics have come to sort of expect resolutions to these things are going to be ones that even if technically open to white men, they're going to be less inclined to pursue them anyway. I think that's right. Um, but I do think you only need a few, right? Yeah, that's true. That's the true. Most, Is that the example? Yeah. To, the, and then, the most like, powerful yeah. force in America is the litigious culture. <laughs> yeah. The most powerful co- uh, force in, a, in corporate America is cover your ass. Right. Yeah, fully. yeah totally. <laughs> so if for once we could get the CYA working in our direction rather than the left's, I feel like that would be an enormous improvement. Well, there's been some move at least to some for like for all the issues that I, I think probably have at least some issues with like the Civil Rights Act and the way that get, that gets mobilized and the like. I've seen um, it's got, um, group has actually done some pretty good work. Like, quite a few cases to court where uh, they're actually taking advantage of it. not been very common yeah it depends so in in employment there's a commission the eeoc um right and they sort of arbitrarily decide what uh, it, it under their own rules literally everything mm-hmm. is a violation of, of the civil rights act um, <laughs> there's this fantastic uh lawyer who's been working on this for many years um gail harriet and she has a great mm-hmm. law review article called everything I think it, like the, the name of the article is like everything violates the CRA or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> everything nice. has a disparate impact. And and her point is actually yeah. that in employment, it's only it, it's completely arbitrary what things the EEOC decides to investigate as potentially right. having a disparate impact. But literally every right. single thing in the history of the world has a disparate impact. <laughs> Right, like, exactly, no because what, it, because yeah. that's the nature of the difference between people. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, totally. Um, so it's 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 just very uh, it's very selective in that sense. Um, I do think there's been quite a corporate 
freak out over um, the, the the case recently in the Supreme Court where the, the Supreme Court finally uh, struck down affirmative action mm-hmm. uh, as, as unconstitutional in the, in the university mm-hmm. context. And I think in the university context, it's going to be an uphill battle. Yeah. There's, I mean, they're just so ideological, but in, in the companies I've been, I've been pleasantly surprised to see that actually um, the, the CYA effect is, is in full, uh, full swing. I think um, all but the most mm-hmm. ideological companies are now looking at a lot of their diversity hiring programs and stuff, because it's pretty clear that those things are going to be uh, under fire in the courts soon. Um, and actually, Aaron Sabarium at uh, the Free Weekend has mm-hmm. um, a great piece uh, that was the most hopeful thing of all, um, basically saying that corporate law firms are uh, advising their corporate clients that a lot of the diversity hiring programs may be uh, something that they need to worry about in terms of getting sued. And if the big law firms are giving that advice, a lot of corporate America will follow. So I do think it's hopeful, but I I, I think we need at least a handful of, of whiny, <laughs> um, a handful of, 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 uh, white men who have been passed over to, to just take a little leaf out of, out of, uh, the lady's book for just, just, just a hot second and complain about it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a good time to do it. I think. Yeah. There was also that Starbucks manager case, I believe in New Jersey where she, I think she got like 20, yeah, twenty six million so because she was white. Yeah. yeah, so that's like a I don't know those sort of things. Fire. I imagine. Yeah, would, yeah, they would dissuade, like, companies from doing that. I'm sorry to do a hard uh, switch of topics, but I really wanted to ask Peachy before, um, and and maybe we'll chat ourselves a bit since I think she's dealing uh, with some requests from some some from some little humans in her ho- house. You guys. <laughs> Did you guys hear that? Yeah. A little bit. It's so weird. I press mute so I could tell my child not to come in. Oh, no. But it, it, you, you, you muted. We didn't hear anything. Like oh, that. we Just didn't hear that. Heard the request. Yeah, that's all good. Um, <laughs> no, I was yes, going to ask I, you. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. Uh, about whether you think, because you're over there in Hollywood, uh, yeah. whether you think that the revenge cop movie is coming back. Um, because of all the crime in our cities now, I know that's a really yeah, hard change of subject, but I just, I'm, I'm really curious as to whether you think we're, we're in for another round of. Yeah. So Inez and I today, Inez and I today were sort of chatting about the new trailer for a new John Woo who did, I think the John Wick movies, like a super hyper violent action movie called silent night that hasn't come out yet. But from the trailer, silent night looks like a, a beautiful idyllic suburban you know, family scene, the dad is pushing a white man, pushing his son. And there's like a gang drive-by shooting or something. And the, the, the father and the son are, are shot. The son is, the little boy is killed. The father wakes up and vows revenge. He's going to kill everyone who did this to him. And then the rest of the trailer is just like full bloody mayhem murder. And um, yeah, I mean, so, and as your point was that is the revenge, like the suburban dad taking revenge on the crime that's going on feels like very timely, very zeitgeisty. There's another movie that I told you about um, called Muzzle, where Aaron Eckhart plays an LAPD officer whose canine is killed. His dog is killed by by uh, cartels. And so he goes on a, another revenge, um, a revenge attack. And 
it's funny, just a few weeks ago, uh, my husband and I were reading the new Quentin Tarantino book, which is about basically old movies, 70s movies that kind of formed Tarantino's whole like worldview and like what he loves about cinema. And a lot of them are kind of pulpy and you really never heard of. And one I had never seen, and we watched together called Rolling Thunder. And this is a genre that Tarantino called revenge-o-matic, which is like a wronged man, a nice guy, has his life destroyed by evil bad guys and goes on a full revenge um, bloody massacre against the people who did it, which you can see in a lot of other Tarantino movies. And so I think it's fascinating that there is now at least two movies where normal people are taking revenge. Like you said, Inez, like, uh, is this like a dirty Harry, you know, um, lethal weapon? Like, are we going back to the cops and the, and the good guys and the dads being able to sort of, you know, meet out vigilante justice and honestly, just seeing the videos, the last the news, the last two days of leftists getting stabbed, shot, raped, killed um, in New York City, in Baltimore, um, in uh, where was the other one? San, I forget. Oh, Philadelphia getting, you know, getting the, the policies that they support, killing them. And we regular people who aren't in Antifa, who aren't leftists, who, who, who don't think you should let people out of prison. We're we're stuck dealing with this here in LA. You know, um, George Gascon, who's our, our our woke DA, he's like a huge Soros DA. He just instituted zero bail. So right now in all of LA County, there is no such thing as having to pay any bail, unless literally you shoot someone in the head or something, right? So it's 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 just it's just gonna get so much worse. And this fantasy of being able to take revenge. Is it always a fun movie? Like I will, I love revenge movies. Like you, you root for the guy to get revenge, even though it's illegal and maybe it's immoral or whatever. Um, so I think it's definitely a mini trend, and I kind of want to see one. Like I pitched you, like a reactionary housewife takes revenge on, you know, the trannies in the preschool who like put her son in a princess dress or something. Like it would be a fun, <laughs> it's a fun like trope to explore. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I I uh, really like, obviously there are different sort of types of on the same theme. Like Dirty Harry is a pretty, uh, I'm sure I'm going to piss off people with this, but like is a pretty uh, silly set of movies actually. Um, yeah, and, they are. Yeah, like they're they're like silly level movies. They're fun to watch. Uh, and then the the higher the higher element of that genre would be something like Taxi Driver, right? Um, but I don't know. I mean, I I think I think that's it. Like you said, like it's part of the zeitgeist now, and it's interesting to see it finally trickle into Hollywood. Like this is not a you know ghettoized conservative movie. Um, this is very mainstream John Wick director, and I'm wondering if if that guy knows like that this is this is part of the zeitgeist now. Um, then what does that say? I, I hope we're going to get like a, a bunch of these movies or, or like a, you know, I hope, I hope the uh, cop is hero movie is going to come, come back, make a comeback, I guess, or, or, or the, the ordinary dad pushed too far by horrible criminals and thugs comes back. Cause I, I feel like that's, I don't know, but, and, and forget about politics for a moment. It just makes me feel better. <laughs> I want to watch movies yeah, like that. No, now. right. We all want, we all crave justice 
And everywhere around us now is like just total injustice. It's just topsy-turvy wonderland where good guys, you know, Daniel Penny's in jail, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse almost went to jail and the bad guys are just like running loose. And if you're like one of the good guys, (laughs) uh, you have nowhere to go, you know, what are you going to do? So I think that's a great, you know, maybe we should just start pitching, writing, writing these kind of escapist fantasy revenge revenge thrillers i don't know if that will actually go with my like peachy brand but (laughs) like domestic extremists but i am all about um i mean even better than a movie about it would be actually taking revenge on actual bad guys and i don't mean going around killing bad guys with actual vigilante justice but ousting ousting the people who inflicted them on us and getting bad guys put back in jail like, can we please do that? Like, that would be a great start. Like, just imagine a city where that we had we had this city. New York City was like this in the early 2000s. It was incredibly safe. L.A. was incredibly yeah. safe in the 90s also. Why can't we just go back to what we had? It worked. Prison works. And we're going to need a lot more prisons. Yeah, I think there's, like, I know we sort of talk about, and it can get a little silly, all the sort of like you know obsessing over these like children's stories and um like pop culture and that sort of thing but I think you can't really underestimate the extent to which those sort of like uh archetypal like narratives and stereotypes actually do have a really big influence on people so like I don't think it's an accident that within culture at the same time as BLM has cropped up over the last decade, you get the complete recession of anything that looks like it's valorizing um, cops or making cops the heroes in a given story. Like, And so the more you sort of eliminate that archetype, the more sort of natural and normalized this idea of like police being the bad guys becomes. And so people sort of get more used to this idea that, no, actually police are bad and all this degree of just like rampant anarchy is uh, normal or necessary or actually the problem is that we don't build enough houses and give enough like universal basic income or some other nonsense. Like, And I think that actually like in terms of culture, like you're going to need to renormalize the idea that actually the police are not the bad guys maybe not for people like ourselves, but I think for a lot of younger people, that sort of, I think we all have intuitions towards that. But if you don't have anything in culture sort of validating that idea, it's a lot harder to grab onto. Yeah. You know, my favorite favorite cop movie is the first Mad Max with young, young Mel Gibson. Have you guys seen that recently? Mm-mm. I I uh, my most controversial view is not about rough sex, but that the fact that I just can't stand Mel Gibson. Right, uh, oh, really? as an actor, I don't care what he said or does in his real life. I just I don't oh, like funny. him. Like you should act- watch the first move. Watch the first Mad Max. He's so, he's Hi. absolutely so cute in it that you will not be able to you won't notice the acting. No, I just I find him really unattractive. The only movie I've ever liked with him that I've seen, he was so young as to like have not come in come into his own at all. And it's the Mutiny on the Bounty. Um, well, that's good with too. Him and, yeah, but 
I just, I, I don't know. There's something, you know, just some, some individualistic thing. Like I hear you. I don't like Brad Pitt. I don't like Brad Pitt. There you go. Maybe yeah, my buddy I've is Brad Pitt. Pitt. Have you seen so, him yeah. in Gallipoli? I never no. saw it. I, I think I saw the, a few of his movies and then was like, I, I really Lord. just can't stand this guy. And I avoided all the movies with him in it from there on out. Um, same thing about, I so feel the same way about Meg Ryan, yes. by the way. Meg Ryan is, is <laughs> also like intrinsically repulsive <laughs> to me and I don't want to see anything with Meg Ryan in it. All right. Oh. Amy, how do you feel about Tom Cruise or whoever? Are you okay? <laughs> Who's well, the actor that it, you like? I don't, I don't find any, I don't find Tom Cruise hot at all. I never understood the Tom Cruise thing. Right. Who who do you okay, who, but who do you hate the most? I don't really hate any actors. I All just right. tune them out. Right. I don't yeah, I don't have beef with any of them. Who do who 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 gives you the ick? Tom Did Cruise you? gives me the ick. I don't get why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was cute when he was a kid. Um, Peachy, is there is there an actor that uh you can't stand or actress so many like all of them like all of them i have to like select all and then i can unselect a couple that i actually like um i don't understand modern actors like like the same i don't watch modern movies i literally yeah. never do. like i just yeah no not for me Thanks and it's anyway. like i don't know <laughs> this is a little off tangent but did you did you guys see asteroid city the new wes anderson uh-uh. movie they're all twinks. No, but I, I, I don't like twinks. It's just for not- the aesthetic. Uh, yeah, no, it was actually great. It's a, it's like a great, it's about, it's about the act of playwriting. And so just for that is very interesting, the creative act. But yeah, all the actors in it are like little homunculi, you know, and they're like kind of cute. And um, uh, it's, it's hard to like find any actor or think about like who I used to like when I was like, you know, teenager, like what other like hot young actors. There's just, I mean, like Timothy Chalamet, you know, it's not, he's not the guy. Yeah, I well, those have the theory like that... my little brother to me. I'm like, why do I know? <laughs> I have this theory that there are no hot actors under 35. Yeah, there are. Because they look like, they look like. <laughs> it's a total void. Little twinks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although the new. Timothy la la la. Yeah. Well, yeah, and they all, that's the thing. Like, I'm sorry, but if somebody like says they're non binary and like wears lipstick to movie premieres, like, I'm sorry, I just am never going to find you hard. No, right. It's hard. Like, it's, yeah. The guy who plays Elvis in the the new Sofia Coppola movie, he's cute. Jacob Lordy. Sofia Coppola. She has a new movie about Priscilla Presley and Elvis, which is like interesting. I think that Peachy needs a new pseudonym. Um, yeah. So that, she, like, you know how, like, uh, women writers, like P.D. James or whatever, right? Like, right. They, they always had these Nick, J.K. Rowling, um, these sort of ambiguous nicknames that could be a man. So you just, you need a, right. a, a like, ambiguous <laughs> male name um, to write all of the, the my action the, movies and yeah your action movie script under <laughs> my like rated like yeah domestic experiment. <laughs> well okay i have to think of a good name do you hear that my little friend is calling me which means i have to sign off in a minute she just wants yeah, to like not that time my, over here too, she wants yeah. she wants to take my phone so she can like i don't know, do something do something nefarious with it she's gonna start tweeting 
Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my nightmare. Let your kids grow up to be tweeters, <laughs> posters. They Mama, don't let your kids you. grow up to be posters. Uh, I mean, if, if they're ever mad at me, they can just in one second just tweet, <laughs> tweet our home address. That would be. <laughs> I don't think they're that crazy, but yeah, um, my, my, my little one is, is guilty. The other day, for some reason I had like YouTube was open on my phone and it was like my peachy Keenan Gmail and someone had started a YouTube with peachy Keenan and my daughter posted like a selfie video (laughs) of her talking. And I was like, Whoa, this is not a good idea. And then I had to like figure out how to delete the channel. I didn't even know where it came from. I, I guess it comes with your Gmail account. I don't even know. But it's very dicey when you have your little kids touching your 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 devices and you've got like multiple aliases. <laughs> you have to be really careful. They're gonna match the uh like the random uh keyboard smash. Of, that's how they're gonna <laughs> identify you. They're gonna be like, well, this looks like the keyboard smash of this particular oh <laughs> child. Oh my gosh, I know I'm doomed. Uh, well, we're we're all doomed, I guess, but not for tonight. And, and maybe we should uh, wrap it up. Fight another day. Here too. Yeah, Inez, don't get stabbed. Don't don't spend time in Brooklyn at four in the morning, please. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, I wouldn't be following. I don't want to speak ill of the dead. I mean, I'm sorry. This, this is a horrible attack, but I would not be following the wigging out homeless person down the block. Yeah, I would be Walk going away. the opposite direction. <laughs> Walk away. Just get out of there. Yeah. We need we need sensible knife control in this country. <laughs> worked in worked in the UK. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, right, ladies. ladies, it's been another wonderful discussion. Uh this this podcast uh should just be like the it, it's just a three-way phone call. Uh <laughs> Like like the 1990s, you know, like all the the music videos where somebody is on a three way phone call and there's a split screen with like three. <laughs> if we ever go to video, that's what we'll do. Yes, <laughs> so, definitely. I love it. I will thank uh, you guys so much. Thank you for thank you for taking the time, and thank you whoever is listening to this. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks for listening, guys. We'll uh, we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. That was so perfect. <laughs>